I'll introduce our, 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 our pastor for the day. So, uh, uh, first, I want to mention some of the booklets that you all received. As of last Monday, it was on scratch paper. The staff did an excellent job by composing all of that. It was Izzy, Amy, and Rosemary, and I'm assuming there was some more that I probably missed up out. But as of last Monday afternoon, it was just on scrap paper. This is what they were going to do. So I think give them a round of applause for that. Thank you. So now it's my honor to reintroduce and to welcome Pat Knowlton to come to the pulpit and deliver your message to us. And I got saved when I was 26. And when I got saved, they did the same thing to me when I, they did when I was five. Because I, I, got, I got, went through one, five. I got baptized at First Baptist Church Brownville. But they patted me on the back after I got baptized and said, go do the best you can. There's no discipleship. There's no... I, I didn't... I, I, I left the church going, now what? Okay? So, 
I'm, if, you can't, if you haven't guessed by now, I'm not a halfway guy. I don't do things halfway. I don't try things, I do them. And so I told God, I said, we're going to do this or we're not. He said, okay, so look where I am. Um, so the point is, I've been to church my whole life, and this was how I saw Christians. And this is, we're going to praise the Lord this way. I never understood the celebration or the necessity for celebration. So in, 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 in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has the first missionary journey. He takes the 72 in the first 10 or 15 verses, and he says, All right, boys, I want you to go in pairs. I want you to go out. I want you to heal the sick. I want, I want you to, 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 to confront demons, I want, but I don't want you to take anything with you. No money bag, no extra clothes, nothing. You're just going to go on faith. And they went, okay. And they left. We're going to find them when they come back. Verse 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now let's stop here and pray for a minute. Father, we come before you this morning, and it's our opportunity to understand why we should be continually in celebration before you. We honor your name and glorify you and thank you for what you've done to us and for us. We bless you, Father, and we thank you for being here with us as you promised. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So he said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Verse 18. And he said to them, I, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, don't lose your focus, he says. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now let me explain this. We all like to see the spectacular, don't we? I have been involved in all kinds of stories. And if you want to just sit and talk about it, we've seen everything from healings to resurrections. We have seen miraculous things in, in, in my 40 years of doing this. Uh, on multiple continents. Do you know what happened to every person that Jesus ever healed? They died. The healing was temporary. When Jesus resurrected Lazarus, you know he was the maddest person in the Bible, don't you? He spent three days with God, and then Jesus says, Yo, Lazarus, come forth. And he goes, uh, What? I have to go back there. You can just see him holding on to the gates of heaven with God's got his foot in his back. Go, you got to go back. And he's going, I won't go back. I want to stay here. I've been telling my family for years, if I get sick, don't you pray for my health. Don't pray for my healing. I'm going to go see Jesus. But what happened to Lazarus after he was resurrected? He died. You guys get it. No, he's right. Because we take the focus and put it on the spectacular and we miss the outcome. How many of those people that Jesus healed never followed him and died and went to hell? Because we are focused on the spectacular and we miss the important. And the important is don't celebrate because of the miracles. Don't celebrate because of the spiritual warfare. Celebrate because your names are written in the book of life. What does that mean? Well... This is where it gets interesting. 
What is that? What kind of tree does that come from? This is not a trick question. How do you know it's an apple tree? Circular logic, right? It makes apples. It's the nature of that tree to make these, isn't it? It doesn't matter how hard that tree wants to make something else. It can't. It can only do this. So can that tree ever make one of these? You guys have not been in church very long, have you? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you were born, all you could produce was the fruit of unrighteousness. There was some level of morality in there where you could be nice and you could be kind, but you could not be what God made you to be because God had to change your nature. And the first thing that we need to understand as Christians is that you are not a better human. You are something different. You are not a better human. You are something different. Now listen to me very carefully. And this is a lie that's being preached in all the churches and in all the denominations. Unless you get a pastor who's been thinking. You see, there are in some churches, many churches, the preacher is preaching that you can be a better version of yourself with the help of Jesus. And that's called reformational theology. You can be reformed, something better. You know what the Bible teaches? Transformational theology. You can never be better, no matter how hard you try, but God can make you different. He can change your want-tos. And so we find ourselves frustrated in church, frustrated in our Christian lives, because we're trying so hard to be better. And God said, you can't be better. You have to die and be remade. And once you're remade, once you become different, everything changes. And this celebration begins to bubble up inside of you because you're not making apples anymore. You're making bananas. Your nature is different. Now, when we talk about that different nature, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a... If any man is in Christ, he is a... Wow. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have... You're getting better at this. And all things have become new. Now think about that phrase, passed away. We don't use that phrase just willy-nilly. Oh yeah, Aunt Sally came over the other day for lunch and then she passed away. It means it died. Old things died. When I had those old things, I was mean. I was not a nice person. I was nice in church, but I wasn't nice out there. I was in the army, and, and my, a good friend of mine and I, we were doing close-quarter combat drills, and he hit me wrong, and I got angry, and I put him in the hospital. And we were just training. I was mean. That was my spirit. And God changed that. He took it out and put something new in there. So we talk about 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're not just talking about you being a better human. We're talking about you being something different. Now, here's something for you to chew on. 
If you are a Christ follower, if you are a God pursuer, I want to be careful not to use the word Christian. Let me tell you why. 70% of Americans self-identify as Christians. But if you ask two questions and only two, do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that number drops to less than 10% of Americans. Yep. So there are 60, well, there's 50-something percent of people out there who self-identify as Christians who don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and they don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. So if you are a God pursuer, a God hunter, a Christ follower, you need to understand that you're no longer human. You got it? What are you? You're immortal. Not my words. How many of you know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has immortality. I'm not going to die. Everybody look at me. I have an F-350. That's my truck. I drive my little Honda, I drive my little Toyota around because I have to drive a lot and it gets really good, good gas mileage. But my truck is an F-350. And my wife thinks I love it more than I love her. And there are days. <laughs> my wife cannot tow an excavator. I'm sorry. My truck can. And I love to play on the excavator. But you know, my, my F-350 is designed to wear out. They want it to wear out, so I'll buy another one. Right? That's the way it works. It's that simple. We all know that. This thing's designed to wear out too, but I'm not this. This is how I get around in the world. This is how I interact. This is how I do commerce, how I make relationships. This is how you see me, but this is not me. Where am I? I'm in here. My wants, my needs, my emotions, my desires are in here, and you don't get to see those, do you? All you get to see is this handsome devil. <laughs> but this is not me. This is dying. But I won't die. When this thing expires, where will I be? Thank you. This boy has more theology than all of you guys together. <laughs> I will not be suffering here anymore. I will be looking at the face of my Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I will have rhythm and get to dance. Thank you. Some of you get there. It's not that Baptists can't dance. We're not, we're, it's, not, it's not that we're precluded from it. It's that we lack the ability. It's that Baptists can't dance. Okay, that's the truth. All right. So the idea is that I am immortal. I'm no longer a human having a spiritual experience. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And my human experience will end because God changed my nature. Now, there is a battle that goes on in all of this. And you need to go, you can look at it, Galatians chapter 5. Or you can listen to the... YouTube and look this up for yourselves in a minute. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. But I say walk, verse 16, Galatians 5 and verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Everybody look at me. Everywhere he says Spirit, you, you substitute the phrase no better. I know what I should, I know better than this. And everywhere you see the flesh, you say want to. This is what I want to do. You see a chocolate cake on your counter? You know what I learned about chocolate cakes? 
that if you just take the whole thing and sit down and eat it, that's one piece. <laughs> but what happens if you do that? <laughs> and I can't do that because I have to make my body a living sacrifice. I have to. That's scriptural. Okay? So my want to is to eat the whole cake. My no better says don't. So let's look at this. For I say, walk by your no better, and you will not carry out your want to's. For your want to sets its desire against your no better, and the no better against your want to. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you want to. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are, if you're led by the no better, you're not under the law. Where does the no better come to come from? Where does God live? If I'm a God chaser, his spirit is in me, correct? And that's my no better. And I have to listen to that because my want to is very strong. Do you know what my want to wants more than anything in the whole world? My want to wants comfort. It wants safety and security. Look, we have a whole line of furniture named Lazy Boy. I mean, think about that. What happens to that furniture that you call active boy? You put it in your bedroom and hang clothes on it after a while because you don't use it anymore. You buy a treadmill, you buy a Peloton, whatever. It, you don't want to use it. Why? Because that's not your nature. Your want to wants to sit and be fed nothing. You don't believe me. See how much screen time you use this week. And it's worse than this because us baby boomers, you know what we do? Because we can afford iPads, right? We turn on the TV and then get on our iPads. And then we complain about those kids walking around town like this. We do it too because we want comfort and we want to, I just want to break for a little while. My want to and my no better are in constant opposition to each other. My new me and my old me are fighting for control. And who wins? Do y'all remember the old story that the, 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 the Native American chief uh, was supposedly told to his grandchild about the two wolves inside of them? There are two wolves constantly fighting. Which one wins? The one you feed. Which one's going to win? You want to or you know better? The one you feed. And if you're constantly feeding your want to, and then some crisis comes up, and you say to God, why me? He's going to say, because you know better. Kept telling you, but you wouldn't listen. I was a pastor for 35 years, and every time someone would come into my office, and they'd go, why me? I'd say, when's the last time you read your Bible? they go, oh. When's the last time you memorized a verse? I can't. What's the subtext to I can't in everything in your life? So I'm not going to try. Every time you tell yourself you can't, the subtext is I'm not going to try. You can't fly more than once. So you don't try. So this is the thing. What are you feeding? So if you are a God chaser, if you've been transformed, if you can make bananas now... Are you living by your want to? Or your no better? Well, the truth of the matter is you died. 
Go to Romans chapter 6. You need to see this. Go to Romans chapter 6 because you need to see this. Because this is going to mess with your head. I told you. I'm crazy. Go to Romans chapter 6. If y'all are looking at me because you didn't bring your Bibles, if I ever come back, you need to bring your Bibles because I do this a lot. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to talk about you and me. There's an argument in chapter 5 that says, well, you know, if we, if we sin more, God's grace will be more. So we should go on sinning, right? Paul says, have you lost your minds? That's literally what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may increase, may it never be? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? No, we died to sin. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? Jesus has been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old self was crucified with him. What is the purpose of crucifixion? <clears throat> what? It was to kill you. They didn't, they know that Romans never put you on the cross and went, oh, 30 minutes, we can take him down. They put him up there and left him. Your old self was crucified. It was put to death. In order that the body of sin might be rendered powerless so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Look at verse 7. For he who has died has been what? What's your Bible say? Free from what? When you died with Christ, you were set free from the power of sin. And the Bible says you don't have to sin anymore. And all of you just went, that's not what I heard. I heard we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. You know what John Wesley said about that? He said, if I try through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in perfection this side of heaven and I fail, I've lost nothing. But when you buy into the lie that you will never be perfect this side of heaven, what's the subtext? You can't do it, so don't try. And that feeds into your want to rather than your no better. As a matter of fact, you know what Matthew 5.48 says? Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Look at it. You don't have to look, take my word for it. Be perfect. You know what the most important word in that sentence is? It's not perfect. It's as. Your behavior is to be equal to God's behavior. I can't do that. And then you'll turn right around and say, well, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And with God, nothing's impossible. But then you'll say, I can't do that. So I'm not going to try. I have a grandson who is now 12. And when he was 5, he was about this big. And he was a tank. I need to finish up. I mean, he's still a tank. But he was running through the house one day. And we had bar height tables in our house obvious, for obvious reasons. Okay? And he came around the corner running full steam into the kitchen. And he hit his head right so hard on the corner of the table that his little body ended up under the table. And he gets up and he goes, Oh, I'm okay. And he takes off again. And we were out building a chicken coop one day, and I'd start the screw. He's five. I'd start the screw and give him the drill and let him put him in. And when he did get done, I'd say, Give me a high five. He's this tall. Even at five, he would look at me and go, Pops, you've lost your mind. I can't do that. So I wouldn't try. 
Why would God give us a command that was impossible? Because we would never try it. But what? If he says, I'm going to command you to do something and empower you to do it, would happen if we actually tried. So the next verse I want to take you to is in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. My brain's getting going too fast. I'm skipping chapters. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him just as, uh, just as in truth, excuse me, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside your old self. Now, he's indicating here that you need to do that with the power of the Spirit. Okay, verse 22 of, of Ephesians 4. You lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, your, your want to. And that you be re renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're no better. And you put on your new self, listen, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You put on your new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm not telling you you're God. I'm telling you you could be godly. But I'm not telling you at all, that at all. Who told you that? It's right there in your book. Read it. Brother Pat, I don't get this. Why is this a celebration? My whole life I've been in church. My whole life I've been in church. And now I have the joy of working alongside about 100 churches and four associations. And do you know what I see in church most Sundays? I heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How he raised the lame to walk again And caused the blind to see do you want to know why the church, the, the, the world doesn't want to be a part of this? When I was a kid, I hated it when the preacher would stand in the pulpit and he'd say, When you become a Christian, you're going to go to heaven and we're going to have church forever. Isn't that what they say? We're going to sing God's praises. And I thought to myself, That's not heaven. That's the other place. <laughs> I don't want to sit in church and, and for my whole life. I got in trouble in church. I was five years old. First Baptist Church of Mansfield, 350 people standing on my head. They're third few from the back. You remember back then when they had them little uh, uh, privacy walls? Those, those, my mama was first soprano right here. And she, Brother Bob Clemens, was preaching away. Whoop, that little wind, that little door. Squeak, you know, those little hinges always squeak. See, and she walks down there, grabbed me by the leg, whooped the snot out of me in church, set me down. She walked back up. Brother Bob's just standing there going. She walked past and goes, you may continue. <laughs> now, I'm just telling you. We don't celebrate our difference. We don't stand up and say, I'm not going to die. I have purpose in my life. I have meaning in my life because Jesus transformed me. I'm not what you are. I'm not hopeless. I have hope. I have joy. I have celebration. 
My master created me with purpose. And I want to give that to you. And most of them go, I don't want it. Which is fine. That's not my job. My job is to be so excited about what I am that I can't help telling people. I spent almost 14 years in a town called Creek, Colorado. Some of you know where that is. Everybody in town went to Tommyknockers. Anybody know what Tommyknockers is? You can say it in church. It was a bar. Creed was three blocks long and six blocks wide. The entire county had 300 people in it. We had 6,000 elk and 300 people. We were so far removed from civilization that the government didn't even consider us rural. We were frontier. Still. And so after I'd been there about 20 minutes, I realized that if I was going to meet the people, you know where I was going to have to be. I was down at Tommyknockers. And I became really good friends with Brian, the owner. And I had my own little bar stool. And I'd go there and I'd get a sandwich and a Dr. Pepper. And every time I walked out of that bar, I'd hear Brian tell somebody, that was a Baptist preacher, he's in here drinking. Do you know how many people I led to the Lord in that bar? We had, by the time I left there, 14 years after I got there, we had 60 people in church in the wintertime. 20% of the county population. Could you imagine if you had 20% of this county's population in this church on any given Sunday, how big it would be? Because I have something to tell them. Let, I, I, I could go all day. i got to stop. Okay. We're almost done. What is good news? We know the gospel is good news, right? What is good news? Anybody shoot a big buck this year? Anybody? Really? Yeah. Did you? How big was it? Eight points. Was it outside its ears? All right, so it was a nice bath shape. Who did you tell? Okay. Everybody, right? Without fear. Look at what I did. Anybody have a new grandbaby this year? Going to. Who are you telling? Even if they don't want to hear it. You remember in the old days we had to show a picture? What do we do now? Hey, this is the baby at 205. This is the baby at 205 in 10 seconds, and this is the baby. No. And we're sitting there going, that's an ugly baby. But we don't say it. You see, that's good news. Did your team win the suit? Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> but if they did, who would you have told? Exactly. That's good news. But who do we tell the gospel about? Nobody. Why not? Because it's not good news. Because we don't know what happened. I will tell you right now, and I have been here. Somebody stands up and threatens your life. And you can look at them with the love of Jesus that comes out of you and say, Go ahead, because I don't have anything to fear. And they look at you and go, What is wrong with you? And I will tell them, Jesus changed me. I've had several conversations start that way. What about you? Are you just comfortable going to church? Got your get out of hell free card? 
Yep, I keep it back here. I don't do nothing with it. I just keep it back here so when I die, I can present it at the gate and say, I got my get out of hell free card. Remember the story of the talents, and we'll finish with this. You remember the story? Master was going away on, on a trip, and he saw he had three servants, and he thought they were worth they, they were trustworthy, and he gave the first one five talents, and the second one three, and the third one one. What the guy with the five talents do? Do you guys know anything about the Bible? What did the first one do? Made five more, right? What did the, what did, what did the what did the, the, the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. One of the three. What did he do? Man, this is a tough crowd. He made three more. Well done, good and faithful servant. What did the last one do right? Wait, what did he do right? Nothing. What did he do wrong? Nothing. What did he do? Nothing. And what did God say to him? You wicked and worthless slave. Throw him into outer darkness. And the one who has... Ten, give his one. He got in trouble for doing nothing. Nothing! We think it's okay just to come and sit and absorb. You've been given opportunities today to become involved in the kingdom, to find places to work, no matter how small. Maybe your passion is gardening. My passion is... I love to mow yards. Anybody watch Forrest Gump? Very last scene. Little motor, little, little. That's me. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have about three acres and a push mower. So when I get done, I can start over. Because I love that smell. If I weren't a pastor, you know where I'd be every Sunday? In the nursery. Because I can put people to sleep just by talking Where's your passion? What do you love? Put it, put it to use in the church and in the community. Stop doing nothing. Show the world there's something in this church, in this body of God, God, God chasers, of God hunters, that you can make a difference. Jesus' method of evangelism, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Lift him up and change the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and again, it's our opportunity to glorify you. I, I, I just wish that what I had was contagious. I wish, Father, that you would rain down out of heaven and make everybody in this room as insane about you as I am. cannot believe that you would come and pay our penalty our, our, our sin penalty on your cross so that we could sit and do nothing until we die let us become excited about what you've done to us how you've transformed us given us the ability to act like you knowing that we're not going to die. We bless you, Father. We pray this in your name. Now, we're going to stand in a minute. We're going to sing a song, but I want you to be very careful about this song.
We're going to sing I Surrender All, right? Because this is what I know from doing this a long time. Most of you don't sing that song right. If you sang it in truth, you would say this, I surrender some. Or I surrender most. But you won't surrender all. My eldest son, who is now 40 years old, he's 6'6". Six, six. He bench presses 200, no, he benches, bench presses 310 pounds now. He's 17-inch straight measure from front to back. And he was the point man in the scout team in the war. He was five years old. He was running through my house. <laughs> he only had two speeds on and off. <laughs> and then when the off would kick in, we'd find him in weird places, like sleeping in the hallway or out in the front yard or wherever he got tired. He would just lay down and take, take a nap. And, and he's running by me one day. I'm sitting at the table, and I'm praying to God, and I said, I need to know what it means to surrender all... And he said, you see that boy? Yep. He said, I know you've told me on multiple occasions you're willing to die for me. I said, yes, sir. I said, what if somebody caught that boy and put a gun to his head and said, renounce me or I'll kill him? What would you do? And just like you, it got real serious real quick. And I finally said to him, well, I guess that you'd love him more than I do. And you're going to take care of him no matter what. So I will stand firm and say, I will not hold anything back from you. You see, I did surrender all. I gave it up. I died. So you stand and you sing these words, you make sure you know what you're saying. And if you have any reason that you want to pray with me or talk to me today, you come down here and I'll speak with you. Let's stand as we sing.